It's Friday night, everybody. You know what that means. It's Friday night. Let's have some fun. Let's get together and play a ton. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're Friday Night Games. We want our mercy with our love of the hobby by educating and entertaining you through our board gaming adventures. Our podcast lands every Friday and we create content for Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by TabletopRenaissance.ca, located in our hometown of Windsor, Ontario, Canada. They have their amazing web store up, so check out TabletopRenaissance.ca for your board gaming and tabletop miniature needs. All right, John, on today's show, we are going to talk about what I think the whole community really loves. Dungeons and dragons? Yeah, man, everyone loves dungeons, everyone loves dragons, so we're going to talk about what that is, very broadly, and how to start into it. We're going to discuss the progression of the D&D engines. We will give tips for creating an amazing dungeon crawling adventure, and we'll also give tips on how to efficiently run a game. And if we have time, we might share a few of our favorite or not-so-favorite experiences. Nice. All right, so on today's episode, we have a very special guest, a fellow Windsorite who we've never met in person, but is also a podcaster. He's one of two podcasters, one of two podcasting team from Windsor, Ontario, the OG podcaster from this area. We got Mo from Tabletop Bellhop. Hey, Mo, what's up? Hello, hello. Thank you for having me on. Looking forward to talking some D&D. All right. So before we start, where can everybody find you? All right. So I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. You can find my content at tabletopbellhop.com, and you can find me all over the web and social media as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So if you didn't know, Mo's content is amazing. So you definitely need to check it out if you want recommendations and tips. And you have a lot of podcast episodes too, I believe. Yes, yes we do. <laughs> so thank you very much. Our, our main goal actually is to be a Dear Abby for gamers. So the, the main focus of our goal of our show and what sets us apart from other board game and RPG podcasts is we're here to answer your questions. So if you do have a question for me, you can send that to questions at tabletopbellhop.com or hit the webpage I mentioned earlier and click on Ask the Bellhop. Every podcast episode, we answer at least one question from one of our fans. Nice. That's awesome. I'm going to start sending you questions. Fair. <laughs> you cool with that? That's what it, we're here it, for. There might be bananas, though. Like, what's the best pizza you had while eating while playing a board game (laughs) (laughs) that one's easy i i actually asked that to mo yeah mo and sean right i think i've asked it to both of you a live stream that's easy what's your answer for that one that's windsor pizza double cheese pepperoni italian sausage oh my favorite pizza in the city i love windsor pizza on jefferson i yeah windsor pizza on jefferson is awesome especially if i love the dog bones (laughs) i love that man but my our favorite, we have a new favorite. Yeah. Okay. It's in LaSalle, slice of pie. Oh, it is. Haven't had a chance to try them yet. It's good. It's like Windsor Pizza meets Cheese Wheels. So like they have the garlic crust oh, that Cheese Wheels has, nice. but it's like a thinner, less like <laughs> Cheese Wheels a lot of extra crust. Yes. Cheese well, Cheese Wheels is like pizza candy, you know? You like <laughs> yeah. there's like sl- there's like grease at the bottom of the box and you're like, "Whoa, mm-hmm. what is this thing?" There's like 2 pounds of cheese on it, but Yep. They 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 have totally just as agree. good food, you know. They're like a typical Windsor pizza. I know people if people aren't from Windsor, look, man. I'm and you follow us, you know you got to eat Windsor pizza. It's the yeah. best. Oh yeah, best pizza in the world. Agreed. We're known for board game podcasts and pizza. 
<laughs> we should just be eating pizza. We should just be rating pizza. That's what we should do. All right. You know, I, I, for a while, we were opening our shows with coffee reviews, and I'm like, I would totally do a pizza review with everyone. <laughs> and we actually got some negative feedback saying, you know, get to the monkey. Like, come on. We don't want to hear about this local stuff we can't get. I'm like, all right. Well, that's fine. why they got to come to Windsor for a gaming convention that we'll all put on in 10 years. That's my time. There you go. There you go. <laughs> 10 years? I'm up for that. Holding you to it. <laughs> Yeah, definitely will be to it. All right. Oh, okay. So what did you think when I asked you to do a show with me? All right. First thought First thought is, why are you asking me? <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're asking me about D&D. And I'm like, we're kind of a board game podcast. Yeah, we talk about RPGs now and then. And I'm like, do you know I have like tons of a D&D experience? Or you just guess and I have it? And I was just, the, the first thought was, why me? What, 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 the, what do you look at? Why would I be the expert in this I actually, I actually have no idea what, what brought me to it. Sometimes there's just this like weird luck that I have. And I'm like, I, I saw pictures like, I see pictures of like you and your family playing and I noticed that you yeah. went through like a, a original D&D session and I'll be honest whenever people show pictures of their areas I look at people's shelves and I noticed you yep. had a very large collection of D&D stuff Fair. and I'm like you probably play a lot of D&D that's a register <laughs> in my mind yeah. and I'm like I was thinking I like I wanted to have you on the show I, we want to have a lot of people on the show it just takes us a long time to like organize it and like sometimes it takes a lot of time for me to even think about what the topic should be mm -hmm. right and so i'm like you know what i'm just gonna throw it out there like hey do you know anything about dungeon mastering and, I, and then you're like oh yeah i'm uh would you would you say you're a herald uh, level herald uh, yeah i was a i was a herald level gm for the rpga so back in the day not with the current edition of DD, you used to have to take a test to run wow. public gaming which to me actually kind of makes sense because you're presenting a brand right you're trying to mm -hmm. sell the game to a new generation or new people it makes sense to make sure the people doing that know the game so you actually used to have to take a time test it was open book and it would ask like the most ridiculous things like what's the minus to hit when in a frozen tundra and you're playing in the dark sun universe right and you actually had to get the enough of these right to get certified and then they sent you a card in the mail which oh if i had thought about i'm not doing video sorry i'm so used to doing this on video <laughs> no, that's cool that i'm like flailing my hands around and stuff and i was holding up the bellhop coffee cup when we were oh talking i'm about sorry <laughs> it's all good i'm just so used to it we record everything on video so okay. it's it's throwing me off so yeah i i was a a official herald level that was one of the different ranks it wasn't the bottom rank but it was still near the bottom i didn't do i just ran games locally for wizards of the coast so i was a certified dungeon master for wizards of the coast awesome i mean i like once you said that it blew my mind i'm like wow okay i did get the right person for the right topic yeah. i'm like boom success yeah yeah and i feel bad because you asked for me and sean and whereas sean's the other hand so sean's my podcast co-host i've known him since grade one at j.a rooney high Aww. school on the west end after high school we kind of separated i went to a different high school than he did and then he went away to toronto to go to ryerson whereas i went to brennan so we kind of split up and we didn't rehook up until in between whereas during that period that's when i was running ad and d and all that and so he didn't get to play any of that now he did have an ad and d group yeah. when he was up at ryerson but like his whole D, &D experience was one campaign while at ryerson for a couple semesters so i'm like i asked him to come anyway and like play the straight man he's like nah i don't feel comfortable oh, he didn't want oh he should like he should, totally should have been on this show like yeah. it would have been fine i know he's he's nervous too he's he's he, like many of us geeks has some social anxiety <laughs> he's like well, i don't have a problem speaking publicly on my show but that's someone else's show yeah oh Dude, I, like it's fair. Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> and you telling your story to us, it's actually the almost identical same. to Matt and I. We've known each other since <laughs> nice. kindergarten. I went to Brennan. You went to Brennan. <laughs> I, I lived in Toronto. Yes, I went to Brennan. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. We, we went to different high schools and didn't talk to each other until For, we were in like our twenties. Yeah, we didn't we didn't talk to each other all throughout high school. So yeah. maybe maybe even like slightly into university. No, I I got married and then that's when we saw each other. It was like eight or nine years later. Yeah. But yeah, it was just hilarious. I'm like, wow, you're saying that. And I got yeah. John into D and D. Yep. <laughs> and oh, the nice. board games too. Yeah, I was the one that got Sean into everything back in the day, and then back into it now. That's good. I mean, you know, you always need that partner in crime. I, I feel like people right. are, like, secretly nerdy. Like, everyone's nerdy. They're just afraid to, like, admit it, you know? It's highly possible. <laughs> I, I, well, to be honest, I think everyone's nerdy and a fan. It's just what they're a fan of. Yeah. Right? Like, if you look at sports fans, those are some of the nerdiest people in the world. They just want to call themselves jocks. But, like, they yeah. collect stuff and they, they bet <laughs> and they run fantasy leagues. And I'm like, come on. How is that not the same? Oh, thing? yeah. It's the exact same thing. They're using, they're using like, complex math to figure out yes. their strategies. <laughs> like, okay, you guys are completely nerds. Absolutely. Which I am actually, like, I'm a big football nerd, too, which John knows, because I basically read, unfortunately, the Detroit Lions news every day. So, <laughs> Man, that's worse than Doom Squad. <laughs> uh, it is. Well, it's <laughs> the universe has ended in the Lions form of <laughs> universe, you know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Man, this is a good podcast, and we haven't even hit, like, ten minutes. So yeah. we're, we're not even going to have a topic. We're just going to be like... Dudes from Windsor hanging out. Yeah. yeah. So, John, what is Dungeons & Dragons? It is a tabletop fantasy game where friends get together and play as these characters that they build with different stats and rules, and they use a bunch of dice to determine what they're going to do in the game. So and possibly the biggest argument you're ever going to have. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you, there's someone that controls the game. There's like a dungeon master or GM. And they kind of do the storytelling and they kind of control what's going on. So, you know, if, if you want to go explore this one room, you have to ask them, roll your dice, and they can tell you whether or not you've done it or not. Yeah, this poor soul has to prepare for every game, maybe even order the pizza. And Oh, no, no, no. We got to stop you right there. <laughs> if the DM is running the game for you, you owe it to them to at least provide the pizza. I agree with Mo. They're doing all the work. Not yeah. with our game group for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> make sure this person likes to get the group together and isn't a, and is uh a jerk who doesn't like to bend the rules that's my uh that's my i, I was the dungeon master by the way just so you all know yeah <laughs> the main goal of every game is to hang out with your friends and explore a world yes. the dungeon master chooses so to start a game you just have to create a character using a piece of paper and a ten thousand page manual. Make sure you draw your a picture of your character and because that's the most important thing, and determine what goals you want to make for yourself. To play, there are three steps. Basically describe, decide, and roll. Uh, the DM will describe a situation, maybe in words, maybe with pictures, who knows? Players will decide what they want to do. And then players will roll the dice to determine what happens. Generally, the lower the roll, the, the better chance of failure. And the higher the roll, the greater chance of success. And the last thing that makes D&D D&D is it includes role-playing. And it might make you do things you don't normally do in real life. Like wear a wizard cape and carry a staff to your D&D event. Nah, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> Did I miss anything, Mo? Is that a pretty good description? Uh, it's not the description I would give. I will put it that <laughs> okay. way. Okay. <laughs> okay. What would you add or take away? All right. So the way I would describe it is it is a um, shared gaming experience where players sit together and tell a story using a structured set of rules and guidelines. 
one of the members of the group is the dungeon master who is generally in charge of running and organizing the game but player input is also a big part of that when sitting down to play a story the group works together to tell a cooperative story that has a no beginning and no end like you just start the game you start playing there's no end in sight you play cooperatively until you're not having fun telling a story anymore a big part of Dungeons and Dragons is it's set in a fantasy universe using a bunch of standard fantasy tropes from sources like Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, and other fantasy writers from the time, and have a bunch of the standard fantasy elements like dungeons, dragons, elves, dwarves, nymphs, and so on. The important part about Dungeons and Dragons is that the players are working together to have fun together telling a shared story, something that didn't exist before and that is the most wonderful part about any role-playing game is that you are working together to create something that didn't exist before then you aren't playing in someone else's world you're playing in your own and it's up to you and your group which way that goes right so the most the most important thing is that shared experience that you're creating together yes. and i think one of the things people usually mess up is they think the dungeon master is against them but the dungeon master exactly. is actually to help them with the story. Yes. Though back in the day, <laughs> there were definitely some dungeon masters that ran their games that way. But I would say I hate claiming wrong, bad, fun. But that is one way to play and not generally what's encouraged nowadays. Right. Yeah. yeah. Totally understandable. Okay. So how does one start into this hobby? How does one get into D&D? All right, the easiest way to get into Dungeons & Dragons. So one other thing I want to point to the definition of Dungeons & Dragons as a game is you don't have to play or run a game to take part in Dungeons & Dragons. This is a very modern concept, but you can be a fan of Dungeons & Dragons and never pick up the dice. One of the most popular ways to do that nowadays is to watch actual plays. Critical Role being the most well-known and most famous, there are a lot of Dungeons & Dragons fans that all they do is watch other people play Dungeons & Dragons. And nowadays, that I suggest as the first place to start if you're curious. If you're like, what is this Dungeons & Dragons thing? What's it all about? Instead of going out and reading a thousand pages and trying to figure out with your friends, watch other people who've already done that work to see if it's something you would enjoy. Yeah, I totally agree because then you, you could see the the fun they're having. And yes. then you could also gain experience to how they're creating their own story, which which is very good. If you don't know where to start, it might be very daunting because you're right. You, you open that thousand page manual. You're like, where do I even start? Do I got to read this yes. whole thing? Which you don't actually. If someone knows the rules, you don't have no. to fully read it. Yeah, I think I think that's where I got my start in Dungeons & Dragons. When I was living in Toronto, I have a friend that is super into Critical Role, even though they don't play right. Dungeons & Dragons at all. And they actually told me to watch it just, just for the entertainment value because they said it was very funny and very like awesome to watch. So I watched a couple episodes right. and I was... I was hooked. It was actually very entertaining. So I highly suggest yeah. if you haven't checked out Critical Role, just do it. No, I agree. Or other independent people who do actual plays. Like if you go on YouTube and type Dungeons & Dragons actual play, you are going to find a slew of people. Oh, yeah. So one of the things that we offer at Tabletop Bellhopper, a bunch of lists. We have a list of tabletop crafters. We've got a list of Twitch streamers, a list of Patreons you can support, and YouTubers. And I actually have filter for actual plays. So you could go to our gaming YouTubers, filter it by actual plays, and find hundreds of of YouTube actual plays you could watch. Awesome. Nice. 
Now, the other place I would recommend starting is Wizards of the Coast owns Dungeons & Dragons. Right. They have produced various different things to help people get into the game. My first thing I would recommend is getting involved in what's called the Adventurers League. This is local play game events. Now, I'm giving you the suggestion in the middle of a pandemic. Please don't rush out and go <laughs> hang out with people right now in the middle of a pandemic. But I'm hoping this will be evergreen I advice. put my phone down. Is I put my phone yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> Look for people who are running events in your local area. Here in Windsor alone, I know at least two different stores that run D&D Adventures League events. These are fantastic because they're set up, created to get new people into the game. So you have a bunch of people passionate about the game, so passionate about it, they want to share it to other people, going out in public to do that generally for free. I don't know if that's true of the stores currently in Windsor, but at least back in, when I was running events, we did not charge for any of those events. And that is a way to actually get to experience it firsthand without having to do any work. You literally just have to show up. And then they will hand you what you need. Yeah, so I, I was going to just note that, like, yeah, you need a dungeon master. And that's actually an amazing way to get, a, like, someone who's already a dungeon master is preparing this event for you. That's an amazing way to get into it. Yes. The next step is, if you don't have that local store, is look online. There are a ton of people running D&D online through Roll20, through Discord, through Facebook chat. There are tons of people learning it online. Now, if that's not an option, I would recommend starting off with what they call box sets, RPG box sets. And currently, there are two of those published for D&D 5e. There is the Dungeon Dragon starter set, which was the original one, that actually contains one of the best written modules that was ever published. So it's a great place to start. And since then, they've also put out the D&D Essentials Kit, which is a newer entry. And what it did is it dumbed down the rules even more, so it's a little bit more approachable. So that might be a better entry point for something totally new. Now, both of those cost money. And one of the awesome things was the Coast has done is you can go to dnd.wizards.com and download the core rules for free. There's no artwork, you don't get pretty dragons, but the rules to play D&D are available free and have been ever since 5th edition's been released. And this is the first time they've actually published the rules as a free, here you go, grab them and start playing. Awesome. That's really cool. That's really cool. I wish I knew this when we started into it. Because <laughs> when we started into it, we had a friend who just kind of like, he kind of just, we were talking about, there's so there's a card game called Pathfinder, and me yep. and one of my buddies were talking about it at a party, and the guy overheard, and he's like, dude, do you want to play Pathfinder? And we just look at each other, we're like, yes. <laughs> we didn't know what we were signing mm -hmm. up for, but man, I had so much fun, that original game. So the, the card game or the role we actually No, we actually played the role play. So I thought we were going to be playing okay. the card game, but then he was just like, oh no, right. you need to download this manual, you need to make a character, and I'm like, yep. uh-oh, this isn't <laughs> what I wanted to play, but okay, I'm just going to go with Like, I'm pretty easygoing, so I'm like, I'm just going to go with it and yeah. see what happens. And it blew my mind at how like complex and fun it was. And the oh, role-playing yeah. thing was very new to me. Usually you don't role-play. And I think that was the same thing with me because when I first came back to Windsor and started hanging out with you guys again and joined the game group, I think within like two weeks, three weeks, you asked me to come over to play Pathfinder. And I was like, I've never, I didn't play at all. And I was like, this is amazing. I was having so much fun. Yeah. yeah. And it just kind of drew me in and got me super mm -hmm. interested in this whole fantasy world that I'd never experienced before, which I think is such a great, great part of this community and the role-playing genre to begin with. Like just, just to be able to immerse somebody like has no clue what's going on into it that fast. I think it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, I'm very good at pulling you into things too. Yes. Like, haha, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> Kiss your Is life away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? Yeah. Path podcasting now, John. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Pathfinder, we're going to be talking about editions of D&D, &D, was actually an offshoot of Dungeons & Dragons. It was Dungeons & Dragons 3, 
third edition. And when Wizards of the Coast announced they were going to launch fourth edition, and the method they used to advertise it, I don't want to say anything too bad here, was unique and turned a lot of existing D&D players off the new edition before it was ever released. They were trying to attract the World of Warcraft and MMO players to the game. And that turned off a lot of people who have been playing the game for years. So what happened was Paizo, which is the company that owns Pathfinder, actually separated from them. Now, another little tidbit of information, Paizo is the company that used to publish Dragon and Dungeon Magazine for Wizards of the Coast and TSR before that. So you already had a publishing company that published modules and stuff for D&D. So they went, fine, we'll do it on our own. And that's where Pathfinder came from. So did they become like they technically became a competitor right then and yes. there? Wow, a direct competitor. What did, did Wizards have anything to say about that, or they must have been angry? Well, I'm sure they were, <laughs> but what can you do? <laughs> yeah. This, this 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 again goes back to D and D 3.0. Yeah. Introduced something called the OGL, which is the open open gaming license for Dungeons and Dragons that said you can use our core rules to publish your own material. So well, Pathfinder took advantage of that and publish their own material. Part of it, too, was Pathfinder was also pissed off because they canceled both Dragon and Dungeon Magazine uh, as a print product. So here you have a company that's been producing products since the 70s that suddenly got their product yanked from under them and were told, well, you can keep writing us articles. We'll put them out online. Huh. So there was a huge split in then. It was Y2K was actually the year 3rd Edition came out, and Pathfinder actually split out years after that. But when 3rd Edition came out, that's when the open gaming license happened. And that was, I would call, the second role-playing bloom. This being the third, like, like where everyone was suddenly putting out stuff and every store had role-playing products again because everyone was releasing rules under this OGL. So so who who created the OGL? Do you know? That was Wizards of the Coast. Okay. So, so that was a smart move for them to open that up then. Well, <laughs> yes and no, because <laughs> it allowed everyone to use their stuff and them not make any money uh. off it. So the big drive for fourth edition was to put out what uh, what they call it the GSL or something. They put out some new licensing thing, which is why you didn't see 4E explode because people couldn't write for 4E for you had to license it. No one did. Oh. So it, it it is a hotly debated like when you're talking about role playing history, it's one of those you know key moments, right? Like I, I'm trying to think of a moment in actual history history where things could have went one of two ways. Well, it went down the OGL, which created what we have now. But if that hadn't happened, maybe role-playing games would have died out because no one, there was no boom. No one was playing Dungeons and Dragons yeah. anymore. No one was talking about it. Yeah, there were some games out there, but there was no critical role with three million views a week either. So yeah, it, it's hotly debated whether the OGL was a good thing or a bad thing. Huh. For many of my personal friends and third-party publishers, it's amazing because they can now put out content and sell it to people as opposed to just writing notes in their notebooks and having great home campaigns no one ever hears about. That's really cool. So on that note, <laughs> let's let's go through some of the additions here. Okay. So first of all, how long have you been playing D&D for, Mo? D&D, okay. So I have been playing role-playing games since 1984. Okay. I did not get into role-playing with Dungeons & Dragons. Just as a Most note, people that's, did. I did that's not. longer than I've been alive. Fair enough. <laughs> the game's older than I am, thankfully. D&D is older than I am, barely. But it is older than I am. So yeah, I actually got into role-playing with TSR, who was the big publisher at the time, their Marvel superheroes game. That was my first game. My second game was West End Games Ghostbusters. And from there, I branched out into Cyberpunk, Warhammer, Stalking the Night, Fantastic, Palladium, and a bunch of others. I didn't get into Dungeons & Dragons until I was in high school. And I did that by going to Kohl's at Tecumseh Mall and picking up the monstrous compendium because I thought it was a fiction book. Oh, really? And back then, this was a three-ring binder that you could add or remove hold sheets on, from. Hold on. So, for... so I'm just going to describe it here for a second here. So you just like walk into Kohl's, and you're like, man, I love Tolkien. I'm going to grab something off the shelf. And was it was it in the fantasy section, or was it like... 
Oh, the, back then there was a Dungeons and Dragons section. Okay. There was a role playing section okay. that tended to have just Dungeons and Dragons, maybe a couple other things. So okay, so I'll back up just a bit. To be fair, okay. this doesn't sound surprising to anyone nowadays, but my dad played D and D. Oh, okay. Now my dad played D and D in the sixty in the early seventies, right? So like I before I was born, like one of my earliest memories is sitting on my dad's lap while he painted metal miniatures Aww. when I was five years old. So I'm like, my dad had D and D. Uh, but he could never find anyone to play it with. So, like, we had the red box in some of the earlier editions, but I didn't want to play that. I wanted my own game because I was a kid and it was teen. I was a teenager, and I didn't want my dad's game. I want my yeah, own. Yeah, you know what? You so don't want to do what your dad. Of... You don't want to do what your dad does, right? Exactly. <laughs> Not at that age, at least. Unfortunately, I feel bad about it now, well. but it is what it is. So I knew what Dungeons and Dragons was. And I had flipped through my dad's Fiend Folio, which is one of the more famous old school books, and his original Monster Manual, and thought it was really cool. And then I read the back of this thing, and it was this big binder, and I think it was on sale, from what I remember. And I was using my own allowance, and I bought this thing, and I brought it home. And I devoured it, because back then, these Monster Manuals would have one to four pages on each individual monster on their ecology. Wow. Like, the orcs live in the hills in this area, and they have a tribal system with this, and... The men do this, and the women do this, and the kids do this, and they go through these rituals, and it would go on for three pages, just about one orc. So it's like, so it like an encyclopedia. Yes, <laughs> yes. Basically, right? Yeah. So I loved that, and I devoured it, and actually one of my, my, my favorite memories, one of my comfort spots is sitting on my parents' sectional at their house with a two liter of Sprite and a bag of combos, mm. and only eating one combo after I finish each entry. <laughs> like, and that's just like ingrained in my head. Like I would love to go do that right now. If that was a thing I could recreate. That would be a safe spot for me. That's awesome. A safe place. I would have just eat all the combos after one page, I think. No, that that was part of the the game, I guess, of, of going through the Monster Man. That's cool. So that eventually led me to going, okay, I'm sick of not knowing what THACO means. What what the heck is this THACO thing? And what's AC? And what what, is, what are all these weird words that are there <laughs> with all this awesome information? Yeah. So I finally picked up the Dungeons & Dragons Advanced 2nd Edition, AD&D 2nd Edition Player's Handbook with the Charging Cavalier on the cover. And I picked that up and devoured it, probably read it in one night and was like, this is awesome. And then I made characters and then I would make my characters fight the monsters in the book and it was all though at that time a solitary experience that's awesome that's really cool actually because like basically your your curiosity led you to play in the game right because mm. you're like what are, what are these exactly. things and then you're like oh my god there's a yeah. whole universe out there right i think that's yes. so cool and then it kind of spread from there. I, I, I met up a friend in grade nine who, uh, unfortunately, I'm no longer connected with. And he also bought a player's handbook. And then we would fight our characters against each other. So, like, we, you know, during the week, we fight our characters and get together, make our characters. And then Friday night, we get together and battle them. And then eventually we throw monsters. But we never even bought the Dungeon Master's Guide to realize that someone else is supposed to be there telling us what to do. <laughs> so so cool. my experience with it was kind of unique. Like, I had played role-playing games. And I got the concept. Yeah. But, like, we just never went there. So it wasn't until university or maybe i to be honest this part's a little blurry somewhere between end of high school and university that i actually started running a D second edition and i ran a campaign that lasted 11 years wow so i have run a lot of second that was all the way through yeah it was definitely end of high school through university um, my four-year degree took me seven years and then a little bit past university running second edition D. wow so, so my first real start was second edition. And to be honest, my knowledge of the previous editions, except for history, because I devour this stuff and I'm into games and I want to know stuff. Yep. I didn't, I've never actually played AD&D. Technically, I played one game of OD&D that was terrible, <laughs> which is one of the reasons it took me so long to get into it. 
You said we're going to talk about good or bad experiences later, so I'm saving that. Okay, That's why I haven't mentioned it yet. <laughs> That's why I haven't mentioned it yet. But I played very little of the older editions. What's interesting is I've now since, I don't know if we want to get into this, but the OSR, the Old School Revival, which is a modern movement to bring back that old style of play using some of those old mechanics. Okay, let's, let's question this for a second here. Okay, yeah. so if we're new to it you know and i'm like okay there's so many versions we just listed so there's like pathfinder there's the the one you just listed right there the old school rules there's there's fourth edition fifth edition you can go to original what like what should i be looking at if i were to get into any of these okay what i would strongly recommend nowadays is fifth edition because fifth edition did things right so what as i mentioned there was kind of there was kind of a, a a split with third edition then an honest to godness coup with fourth edition, Kaizo <laughs> basically taking everything. Fifth edition brought everything back home. They they went to their roots. They did the first ever public playtest, which was called Dungeons and Dragons Next, which I had I did take part in. I was one of the playtesters for Dungeons and Dragons oh, Next, nice. where they opened it up to the world. And it was all through surveys. It was run this adventure three times. Run this event. Try this. Try this new class. Here's a survey. Here's a survey. Here's a survey. And they finally found out from the majority of players what they wanted. And that's what they put out in 5th edition. And to me, it is... Pretty close, like, in my opinion, it's probably the best edition ever published because it modernized the system because there was some quirky stuff in the old rules while still giving you me the feel of that second edition days. Right. Nice. Now, personally, I actually love fourth edition and prefer it, but as a new player, I just start with fifth. Like, the other thing that's always good is it's, it's current. They're still supporting it. You can find yeah. actual plays. You can go to stores and play. You can watch critical role play. No one's doing that for second edition. I can't go to the local game store and play second edition unless I put up a poster saying, hey, I run and run second edition and get lucky and find some local players who want to. Mm-hmm. I can't go get new second edition stuff unless I go on some obscure forum where some old Gronyard's still writing house <laughs> rules, right? Like, it's, it's, they're dead games. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. For sure. I mean, 5th edition, I've also heard that they, they made it, they scaled it to make it easier for people to understand, too, with, like, their absolute scale and things like that. Yes. That, some of it, yeah. The, though it's still, to me, not as approachable as 4th edition was as a new player. Okay. But 4th edition was a very different game. There are a lot of people who hate on it. <laughs> it moved the game closer to a tactical miniature game and further away from role-playing. Mm. But by doing that, made everything very clear so your options were always right in front of you. So that's why it was more approachable, especially for board gamers or people who are used to board gaming. And with the explosion of board games starting with Catan in 2000, a lot more people had that knowledge. So getting them into role playing was easier by presenting it as here are your options right now. Which do you want to take? As opposed to the fifth ed and previous rules, which are what do you want to do? So I loved 4E for that. I, I could see that. Yeah. Because I, I do know, like, from running, from like being a DM for a couple of years, I did notice like some people would prefer options and other people would just yes. prefer to, like, I want to do whatever. I want to do and you're like oh okay yeah <laughs> so and that's true there, there, there are and again the player base kind of split right yeah. the the people who wanted to do what they wanted to do went and played pathfinder and the people who wanted a structured system of play a more structured system of play would stick with fourth ed right right and the other thing is fourth edition kind of jumping back to editions for a second re-released itself halfway through and did like a 4.5 that was way better the problem was everyone gave up on it by then everyone had already made up their mind so they launched it with this very tactical very concise yes people like to say it's like like an mmo i never quite felt that myself there was still plenty of role playing going on it was still but it was very structured and then they put up something called the DD essentials line that was for fourth edition that brought the game back into feeling like second edition a bit more and honestly if you played essentials you can see a lot of that in fifth 
that. Like, you can see the progression. There's a very logical progression from fourth to essentials to fifth, and you could kind of see where the game was going. Unfortunately, no one grasped the essentials because at that point, they'd already marketed themselves into a hole. Like, like everyone had made up their mind. They're like, no, that's not D&D. I don't want to play that. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of sad, I guess. Because uh, that, that's the thing, right? Once it gets black marked, it's hard to get out of that hole. Yes. Right? Because then you're yeah. like, oh, well, because well, I mean, fifth's out now. So everyone's like, well, I'll just play yes. fifth. Right? Especially if you're yes. new to the <laughs> genre, you're going to you're gonna pick up the newest because you're going to think it's easier to understand. At least you're hearing that. Whereas with fourth, people are like, no, no, don't play fourth. Like, don't pick it up. Just don't get into Dungeons and Dragons. If you want Dungeons and Dragons, do this instead, is what mm-hmm. we had going on. Whereas now, it's just like, well, yeah, pick up the latest edition. Yeah, I, because the latest edition's good, and it caters to the biggest audience. Right, I actually, like, I think when we started, 5th edition might have just come out, but people, yeah. like, I think most of the things I read were like, stay away from 4th edition. And yes. we, we played Pathfinder because that's what the one person who started us into playing yep. D&D kind of got us into. And I was just like, wow, Pathfinder is just, like, very, like, wild. Like, there's so many rules. There's so many things mm-hmm. to know right so it was hard to even move on from that because we were still learning yes that right right and and pathfinders is it's its own beast of a game yes. really <laughs> yeah and to be honest i like i would not recommend pathfinders <laughs> to a new player like like that that is one crunchy system to one exception they did put out the awesome pathfinder beginner box right. that went only went from levels one to five and simplified things i actually love that i ran a whole campaign just with that box because it was a dialed down simplified pathfinder but uh, yeah, normally I would not recommend it. But yeah, nowadays D&D, you can get the basic rules for free. I dropped drop a link to it in your Discord. So if you want to throw that in your show notes, yeah, sure. there'll be a link to that. That's where you can get the basic rules for free. The basic rules for 5th Ed are free. Next, I would recommend picking up either the beginner's box or the starter set. I hear the adventure is way better in the starter set, but the beginner boxes, or sorry, the essentials kit is a little bit more simple for players to learn. And just stick with 5e until 6 comes out, which hopefully they'll be smart and wait a little while and not flood it. Because I, I, I have a feeling we won't be seeing a 6th edition as quickly as we saw a 5th. I hope not. Yeah. I feel like they should just, like, I, I think, like, 5th edition has been pretty successful. I think they should just run with it. You know what I mean? Kind of like how Pathfinder has been. Pathfinder is just, they just keep adding cooler exp- No, they... They rebooted. Pathfinder, oh yeah, Pathfinder, Pathfinder Second two. Edition. Yeah, you're right. That was that yeah. was oh, 2019. That was about two years yeah, ago. 2019. Yeah, just be, that, that. I think that caused the pandemic. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I was at Gen Con when that was out. I, now that I now that I remember, they had like a million books of it. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah. I didn't I didn't even look into it because I was out of Pathfinder at that time. I, I think Pathfinder still does a lot right. So so this is another thing to to mention. We're talking about Dungeons and Dragons, but personally, I consider Pathfinder is Dungeons I and consider Dragons. it Dungeons because it is 100. Yeah, it, it like it just doesn't have the name on the cover. Yeah. But inside the book, it does because it uses the OGL. (laughs) It depends what you're looking for. If you are someone, if you're a coder, if you're a programmer, if you are into optimization and making sure that you have eked out every little bonus you can get in every situation, and if you like planning ahead so that I'm going to start at first level and at 30th level, I'm going to hit these classes, have these feats, have all this stuff so that I have the most ultimate awesome me by the end, you're going to love Pathfinder. If you just want to play a dwarf in a fantasy setting and go to the bar and drink some beer and then go kill some orcs, go to Dungeons We really screwed up then. Because <laughs> we were playing Pathfinder the whole time. And I feel like most of our group probably would have liked the second one, the second analogy you used better. Yeah. See, the other thing that I like too about 5th edition is 5th edition adds all that stuff in if you want. Yeah. It's optional rules. So there are rules for feats if you want it. And there's rules for gridded combat if you want it. Whereas Pathfinder, all that's assumed you're using all of it. Yeah, I think that was the biggest thing when we were playing too. Like, I remember I had to learn all the rules because I don't think any, I'm the rules person and I don't think anyone wanted mm-hmm. to learn all the rules of Pathfinder. So sometimes questions would come up and I'm just like, can we just like improv this? And then people would be like, no. 
<laughs> we're gonna pull open a no. book and argue and i'm like i don't want to no. argue i just want to move on from yeah. this <laughs> yeah. sticky point you know the, the, there there is an advantage to rule light systems yeah rulings over rules where it's up to the game master to decide so we were kind of talking about changes to dungeons and dragons I, i'm assuming that's kind of wrapped in on this it right? is yeah so one one of the biggest things when dungeons and dragons shifted in second edition when i started playing was the first time they ever had a skill system and at the time it was called proficiencies and there was the very mechanical weapon proficiencies that just gave you bonuses right but then there were these things called non-weapon proficiencies which were groundbreaking at the time were stuff like farming or geography or map making and they weren't tied to your stats at all right that was groundbreaking before that if you had to make a skill check all you would do is roll a d20 and roll under your stat and the dm would pick so they're like oh i'm going to do some research in the library we'll make an intelligence check you roll a d20 if you roll less than your intelligence it works hmm. that's the rules light version and i gotta admit myself i miss that sometimes because it was so simple well that's crazy because like i actually tried to do that in a couple like dming games and i remember people getting upset with me they're like that's not the rules i read the rules and <laughs> it I'm, was. I'm like dude i just try to get this over with like <laughs> yeah i don't know so the one thing the one thing that, that ties to with fifth edition that i don't understand about fifth edition is why do i have the numbers yeah why don't i just have my bonuses the numbers don't matter once i've assigned that plus one to minus four or whatever the range is now so again i've, I've only played up to D next actually i lied when i said i hadn't played fifth i did play it at a con once but i played a cross-dressing halfling that went to a party so <laughs> i don't know if that's a very I think um, that counts. accurate I think um, that counts. representation of what people do <laughs> yeah I, but but i think that's why fifth edition is awesome because you could just do whatever you want right it, yeah. and it sets it up for an open-ended system that you know say pathfinder pathfinder it can be open-ended if your dungeon master is open-ended but there's a lot of rules and they're very specific yes right where i think like yeah. fifth edition allows you to have that influence on the game which is amazing exactly fifth head is definitely the most open version of dungeons and dragons since second edition right it's, it's definitely I, it's back to the rulings over rules just have fun the improv rule in fifth edition is amazing someone does something according to their character give them a bonus die to spend when they want adding a currency system to DD, i think is fantastic so i play a lot of indie games and that's been part of games like fate and savage worlds for years and it's one of those things like yes finally they're throwing stuff like that in the DD. and the fact you even i again I, i'm not really experienced with fifth ed but there's the three choices you make like your your background your influence your three things that can earn you that are amazing the fact that you even talk about that before you start playing is awesome yeah very cool so we just we just unleashed a lot of information but yes. basically if you're if you're trying to get into it and you know you want like the most open-ended fifth edition is a great place to start they have lots of starter kits definitely do it if you want more of a board game ish thing for like there's nothing wrong with four ed you guys should try check it out yes. if you really want like that tabletop experience and then we played pathfinder i really liked it but if you want that detailed super <laughs> detailed experience yeah. get into that Mm -hmm. And then other editions, like you were saying, are pretty hard to get people to even play. So, but those here are really good. Yeah. Now, there, there's it, what, like, and I mentioned this just a little bit. There's something called the OSR, the Old School Revolution, mm -hmm. which is a group of gamers trying to bring back that old school feel with more modern systems. So, if you are interested in playing BX style, so that was an edition we didn't even mention, where there was a bunch of books. Beck Me it's a, is a different edition. There's all these weird editions because D and D was marketed different ways. So there's two different old starter sets, and then there was one where you bought like the Champion box and the Immortal box, then the whatever box again. Again, I didn't play these editions. All of those have been recreated with modern games, done well. So examples for Golden Glory is an AD&D second edition. And what we call these is retro clones. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas White Box is a redone OD&D, so original D&D, because, well, Gary Guy got sold it in a White Box, so they called their role-playing game White Box, fantasy role-playing. So if you do want those old-school feels, nowadays, there's modern versions of those worth checking out. Oh, that's cool. Nice. Keep those on, on the lookout. That would be really cool. Yeah, and if you want a list for the show notes, I can give you a list of them. I'm just off the top of my head. Those are ones. like I The one I run is White Star, which is a sci-fi version of White Box. Mm-hmm. And it's different. Like, you're playing D- OD&D, every weapon did D6 damage. And it was either minus one or plus one, and that's it. Like, it's just a very different feel. D20s. And then to make a skill check, you roll the D6 on a one to six. It succeeds, otherwise it fails. Like, it's just a very different feel, but it's so quick to play. There's no feats. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. you got your hit points. You roll your D20 to hit and you just go and go and go and you can get through like 30 combats in a day compared to trying to do that in fifth is impossible because the rules are so light but you have to have a lot of trust in your game master to navigate things and to narrate things and to keep things fair that's really cool yeah i I recommend checking that out because that sounds like a really good experience especially if you can get through battles really quickly and that would set you up for more role playing right so if you're more role playing group you definitely would love that engine yes yeah, and it was definitely a system where there weren't there weren't like search checks or anything, right? right? So so you don't find the thing under the bed unless you tell me you look under the bed. Oh. That was more of the style of play back then. It was much more description of what you do. Like, I'm using a 10-foot pole and I'm tapping here, here, and here. Do I find anything? Versus roll your stealth check, roll your search check. It, it, was, it was a different era of play. And I totally get why some people are bringing it back. And I greatly appreciate the fact they're modernizing it. By removing things like stat bonuses for being male over female. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely yeah. want to get away from those stupid things. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> okay, so if you're a DM and you're trying to give an amazing world-building experience, what are some of the tips we can give people? All right, number one, steal other people's stuff. <laughs> there, there is no reason to be a be original. Read Tolkien, look at Lord of the Rings, look at Song of Fire and Ice, watch movies, consume other media, and steal from it liberally. There is nothing saying your D&D world has to be unique and stand out from everyone else. I, this is the best way, in my opinion, to come up with anything is the week before the game as a GM, just consume lots of fantasy media and stuff will just come to your head. Yeah, I, I'm going to give a, a funny one, how to make it awful. Just start killing everybody at the very beginning of the game. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad one. <laughs> what I liked with, with one of our guys, Dan, when he was DMing, he made, like when we started, he made this like really cool story about this like this like void that was like sucking everything in and like if you enter the void you had to like roll your dice and this like random generated thing would give you something weird happen to you and so it was, had, it was had very a dice of like a hundred yeah and it was very very awesome but i do do not envy him for creating that at all that he put way <laughs> too much effort into it and i feel like we didn't appreciate it as much as we should have yeah i agree <laughs> It's probably led to him killing us all the time, but (laughs) what other tips can everyone recommend? All right. My next tip is let someone else do the work. Mm -hmm. There are so many free resources available for adventure design, town design, map making. Whether you're looking at Wizards of the Coast official products for Dungeons & Dragons, which trust me, the writing is fantastic. Their their modules are written by the best in the business. Paizo modules are actually known to be even better, though they're not doing 5th Ed stuff. They're doing their own Pathfinder stuff. But not only that, you can find people doing this stuff for free. You don't have to necessarily go out and buy a hardcover book. You can go to DriveThruRPG or the DMs Guild and find this stuff for a Pay what you want or cheap or just like Google D&D adventure. You're going to find. Something. I wish I had these tips when I started because I had like no idea. <laughs> so like uh, the first thing I did was I just bought a book. Right. And I actually bought some of the pre-made Pathfinder modules, but I didn't like them. 
I actually didn't like them no, at all. Fair. And some, so I think one of the best scenarios I ever came up with is just like take something that you really like and just make a scenario out of it, and then don't tell mm-hmm. anyone that you're not counting AC rolls <laughs> or damage. It <laughs> oh. <laughs> just like completely improv the battle as a DM, and then have like a That's really weird. cool story into it yeah. too make make the bad guy really cool that's what i always like there you go but you're right i i stole from the game diablo when i played there you go see like i said steal liberally steal literally no up to you if you tell your players or not generally it works better if you don't but that's <laughs> up to you. which leads me to yeah, my but... next tip source the table let the players do some of the work yeah. the players go off the track you're expecting them to go right and fight the trolls they go left and you're like okay you come upon a town hey joe what's the name of the town hey steve what kind of people live here is this mostly humans are there some orcs what do we got we got some halflings source the table use the other players there in addition to improving like that sourcing the table you also want to use them to track annoying things if you're the dm you have enough on your mind have another player track the monster monster um initiative have a different player keep track of bonuses have another player be the one that hands out inspiration and tracks who has it who doesn't and so on yeah and that goes back to the original saying that we're saying like you're working the dm is working together with the group to create the story and so like everyone should be helping each other in the end yes the whole mentality that the dm is the only one who can put input or drive the story is old school and should be thrown yeah i totally agree with that and i think like going back we'll talk about a little in a little bit but every adventure that we ever had where the dm was forcing things on people me included were not good experiences right yeah i like the idea of like having the whole table together creating that world together yes because i feel like that brings in a whole new level of inclusivity Mm -hmm. into your game and makes everyone feel like welcomed in that space and not like as an outsider or anything like that i'm going to give a really cool story thing to help you as a dm i think like one of the coolest things i did was that i hinted at something at the very beginning of one of our modules and then like a couple games later i like i used like a carrot on a stick and it's like hey here's a sword Mm -hmm. that's really amazing and it kind of came out later that you're gonna use it or like oh here's a bad guy you encounter right away but later on that bad guy becomes someone who's like you know you did something to him and he's gonna get revenge on you Mm -hmm. i think like that type of like three or four module in you made a little action that made a bigger you know like the butterfly effect you did something small and it made something huge and the end that's you know it really makes the story epic and, and not that you have to force that on anyone. It just can be something hilarious. Like maybe all of you are at a bar and you laugh about the beer you broke on the ground. And then later on, the bartender takes revenge. <laughs> He's going <laughs> to, he hires a group of thugs to fight you. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that, that goes a long way. One of the best GM tips I have for any game, not just Dungeons and Dragons, is let the players win. Let them be heroes. Yeah. If they get to, let them be smart. Like they they go to the dungeon and they find the secret entrance that leads them right to the dragon. Let them get right to the dragon and reward them for it. They manage to get that super crit, the super combo to take out your boss in the first fight. Do it. Let them have it. Let them celebrate. Let them be heroes. You are playing Dungeons and Dragons in specific. It's a heroic role-playing game. Let the players be those heroes. Far too many times I play games where it feels like the DM's just there to challenge the players constantly and never let them win. A great way to do this is have an encounter repeat. So at first level, you're ambushed by 10 goblins. It's a really close fight and the wizard almost dies. Well, at fifth level, come back and have that same fight and watch the players grin as they mow down these goblins that once kicked their ass. Yeah, yeah I feel like that's what happened the last time I played. Was that with me? No, no. When that was with Dan, oh, it was Dan's Dan first hit. campaign, yeah. The DM was just making everything so challenging and yeah. like... 
we all, we honestly spent one campaign just walking. Like we didn't fight at all. <laughs> like nothing was going on. I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah, that's just stop being fun. fun. Yeah, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I do agree with you 100%. In defense of Dan, it was his first game. He was learning. Yeah, yeah. Right, fair. and I totally oh, get it. But but yeah, it definitely. But that experience really hurts you as a player. Yeah. Because think about it. Did you go back to a game after that? No. Exactly. See? I said people have to get in their heads that it's a shared experience. We're all trying to have fun together. The DM may have a different role, but it doesn't put them above the players. Right. It's it's not a better role. It's just a different role. And you are all working together to play the game. Which leads me to something else that I find think is extremely important that doesn't get talked about enough, and that's session zero. That before you start playing, you should be sitting down and setting expectations. Yeah. And if that expectation is, hey, I'm going to tell this epic story, and I want you guys to play along with my story so I can tell my epic story. Either everyone signs on or everyone finally convinces the DM to write that fantasy novel that's been stuck in their head. <laughs> you don't necessarily have to play through it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that one thing that we that we screwed up in our first sessions is that the expectations were never given. Yeah. So yeah. no one even that's no one even knew basically what was going to happen yeah. or or even or even like what was acceptable and not acceptable. Yeah, it's a good do. time to really right. bring those boundaries up. Yeah. Because we have we have people in our group that take things a step too far a right. lot of the times that could be considered very uncomfortable for other people. Right. Yeah. Which leads to the the obvious discussion on safety tools. Yep. If you are running any role playing game, you should be using safety tools. The X card at a minimum. I'm pretty sure this podcast is probably not where we get into safety tools but just google safety tools rpg safety tools i personally recommend script change but safety tools are important the entire point of getting together is everyone has fun and none of that should be at the expense of anyone else at the table for any reason yeah because that all all you're doing is you're creating a very hostile environment and you don't want to do exactly. that. Exactly. And we we've experienced that too. Mm-hmm. So definitely. Yeah. And then that and that comes with not setting the expectations right away. Correct. Yes. Like that's the tool I wish existed back when I used to play. Yeah. That 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 is something a, a new modern woke whatever you want to call it concept <laughs> that I think is gratefully welcomed and I wish was there when I was younger. I have played in very hurtful games, we'll just say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well let's go into a more fun note. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we, we we just talked about how to create that sweet experience for your players, and and it was very insightful. What about? I think there's something that I think everyone kind of overlooks. I think that's and we you touched on it a little bit, but that's actually tips for running the game, not the like okay. DM experience, but like for the little things like creating a character, you know, setting up food, getting your people together. Yeah. Does everyone have some tips we can share for that? Listen to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, where we often discuss running and organizing local play events and game events in your home off the top of my head make sure you're in a bright well-lit place with comfortable chairs and plenty of surfaces to play on make sure there is at least water available if not food make sure there is access to a public washroom have somewhere for people to put their garbage <laughs> you would think you make you would sure... think that that one would be obvious no nope. <laughs> you would it's not obvious trust me it's not <laughs> it's... trust me it's not set expectations is the biggest one ever that covers so many things whether that's who's bringing the snack food who owns the books who's bringing the dice who who has the pencils have a pencil sharpener if you're using pencils all that should be discussed ahead of time before the game starts not once you start playing what system you're going to play what books are allowed that's a huge one for pathfinder and D is which books are you allowing players to use at the table because there are a lot of books and all of them add new rules the official rule for organized play for dungeons and dragons is php plus 
one, which is you need to know the player's handbook and the most recently released source book, and that's all you're allowed to use stuff from. And that's, again, for organized play, but that's so people don't show up with their weird-ass elf necromancer <laughs> they made off some guy's website yeah. that just totally overpowers the game. Other tips are delineating who does what, again, at the table. So if you are doing things like I suggested earlier where someone's going to track initiative and everything, make sure everyone's aware of that. Seating, knowing where people are going to sit. Does someone have a favorite seat? Because trust me, one of your gamers has a favorite seat, and if someone else sits in it, they're going to be upset. So put that out in the open. Don't let that be the silly thing the guy's sitting in the corner brooding about for the whole night. Just find out where people want to sit. Yeah, put that with uh, expectations. (laughs) That guy really wanted that couch seat. You let him have it, right? Trust me, it's it's a thing. Find out why your players are there. This is is one of the the biggest tips. Different people show up to game for different reasons. Again, I got a whole podcast about this, but to summarize, you're going to have the player who's there because he likes hanging out with their friends. They're just there to have a good time and play. You don't want to base the story around that player. And you don't want them to have Excalibur. You're just there to have fun. Let them fade into the background and get involved when they want to. You're also going to have the player that wants to be the winner and wants to be King Arthur who wants to pull Excalibur. You may want to give them Excalibur because that's how they're going to have the most fun. As long as you don't have two of those players who are going to fight over it, but then maybe one will be Guinevere and they'll be just as involved. So get to know your players. And and, and again, expectations. Everything goes down to session zero. Sit down, decide the stuff. Ahead yeah, of I, I, and I think we, we, we screwed up with that too. And I think like that session zero deciding expectations ahead of time is very important, especially like yeah. I think one of the worst, like one of the worst things that we always had going was trying to figure out dinner. <laughs> yeah. like, but that should be done before you sit together. I, I, sw- I swear, like, Mo, like figure out if you're doing pizza or Mo, not. <laughs> I, I swear, we might have sat there for two hours trying to figure out dinner one exactly. night, and and it was bad because oh. like. I, I mean, I put the expectations a little bit on myself. I should have been more organized with like this, like telling people what to do. So I, I was like the DM. I was also helping people level. Obviously, I would tell people to level ahead of time, but I mean, yeah. that almost never happened. <laughs> I feel like no one ever showed up leveled, to yeah. be honest. You, you can't see me nodding. <laughs> yeah. 100%, eh? So, yeah. But oh, like, yeah. yeah, the food, I think the food is actually the most important thing. One of the best sessions I ever had was I just told everyone to show up at six. I actually got the well, food at five and everything. When they came in, I just started feeding people right away. So they couldn't go. like, they had their social time, I guess. Because you kind of need that. Yes. I think everyone's there for social time in general. Mm-hmm. But to get the game Agreed. going, you can't, you can't like order food and then four hours later you start the game because then you're going to be playing till like six in the morning right yeah my main two my two main recommendations for that is either you you gather somewhere else so you go to a restaurant you eat there first then go back to someone's house to play that way people can order whatever they want or eat first before the game and then that's what i stick with at my house my game started at seven eight at night so that everyone's already fed and ready to go yeah now we'll have snacks or whatever, but by eating first, you cut out that possible arguing over what toppings you want on the pizza or who wants right. Chinese or whatever. But but even the snack thing too, it's like, hey, you all bring your own snacks or agree on the snack ahead of time so that we're not... See, what we did for that is we just rotated oh, Okay. It. Each week, it was a different person's responsibility to bring the snack. What they brought is what they brought. If you don't like it too bad, when you bring yours, they might not like yours. Yeah. Just to keep it fair and organized. Expectations. Right? That's yes. expectations. Everything. Yeah. Uh, expectations <laughs> would solve almost every RPG problem I've ever seen anyone post on the internet. Honestly, like if people just talk to each other like adults instead of just, you know, feeling bitter or doing things and stabbing people in the back yeah. and being petty. If you just talk about it like adults, because we're all adults and we all have the same goal. We want to hang out and have fun together. 
Why is it so hard to talk about how we want to do that? Why is that a taboo that we can't talk about how we want to have fun together? It drives me so, nuts so, as, as an older gamer who's been doing this for years. Oh, that's how you know you're getting old, Bo. <laughs> you're like, you young yes, kids, I know. start it. Get your expectations together. <laughs> exactly. Get off my porch unless you know why you're here because we talked about it two weeks ago. <laughs> just, just on a note, so like on that general, like we're talking about, I think expectations is the most important thing to running a game yeah. and to creating an amazing experience. Let's just yes. put it out yes. there. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and honestly, you're talking about which games you should play. That should be part of it too. Yeah. You should have a session where you sit down and go, what do you guys want to play? What do you, I keep saying guys, my bad. What do you folk want to play? Yeah, what, what, what do you players want to do? What game do you want to play yeah. together? Do you even want to play D&D? Or, like I realize you're like, here, you're playing D&D, sit down. And that's kind of how we start. But like once you've got a game collection, like, and the other thing that other most groups do forget is there shouldn't just be one session zero. And that's the reason I kind of hate the name Session Zero, but it's what everyone uses, so I use okay. it. Is you should do it again. Yeah. In, in two months' time or after six sessions, have another one. And go, okay, what do you guys think? Like, we said we were going to do a murder mystery game, but you know what? We've been doing an awful lot of exploring instead. Would you rather we switch towards more of a story, an exploration focus? Or you know what? Mike, you're halfling. Like, it's cool, and I like the feats you chose, but you're dominating every battle. Would you be willing to give up this feat and take another one? Because you're kind of stealing the showcase. That's very now. interesting you, right? you say this, because this is like that in, the, in my work, we call it a retrospective. Right. right at yeah, the end of it, you, you go. go back and you discuss, hey, what could have changed? What would have been better? What went wrong? And I think that, I mean, that's part of setting expectations, right? Is the whole idea mm -hmm. of re-exploring. So like, for, so friends, our friends play, they've been playing a game for like five years now. It's like, at what point, like, I think they should add session zero after a year and be like, are we actually having fun? Yes. Should we do something else? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're a programmer, so you obviously know the term PDCA. Uh, no, I don't actually. No? Okay. Uh, it's, it's a project management term. Okay. Plan, do, check, act. Okay. Plan, do, check, act. So you, you plan your thing. We're going to get together and play D&D. You do it. You get together, you play D&D. You check. Is playing D&D working? Are we having fun? Then you act on the answers for are we having fun? So it's plan, do, check, act. And it's something, uh, to be honest, there is a, a huge overlap between running a D&D game or any fantasy game and project management. A lot of the GMs I know are project managers. I was a project manager in the quality in the auto industry. Makes sense. And there's a lot of skill overlap. And it's a lot of things that people don't think to apply to their game. So in one way, the reason I became a project manager is I was good at running groups of people mm -hmm. because I was a DM. Mm -hmm. So that led me one way. But so many people don't look the opposite way and take their tools from their jobs and apply them to their game because they're like, well, this is fun. This isn't a job. And But there's so many things like that that can apply. And that one of them is that recheck or the check-in. That's usually what we call it is a check-in. Okay. Hey, next week after the game, we're going to have a check-in session. And honestly, what you should be doing is at the end of every session, you should at least be doing something called Rose and Thorns, where every player gives you something they loved about the game and something they didn't like. Now, for most groups, you probably want to do that anonymously. If you get to know your group and you know them well, you should do rose and thorns openly and go around the table. What's a rose for you? 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 All right, any thorns? Any thorns? Any thorns? Any thorns? And you should be changing what you're doing, which is the the act part, right? Where people sometimes fail. They sit and they do this and they feel good about themselves because they had a meeting, but then they have to change the game. You have to look at the person and said, you know, I didn't like the fact that Mike kept taking over the group. Well, Mike, you need to do something about that, and then you need to do it. Not to pick on Mike. <laughs> well, ours would be ours would be. Oh, this is gonna call him out. Ours would be bill <laughs> we would have a rose right. of thorns about bill basically every 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 session there you go. yeah that's, but that's a thing <laughs> 
But yeah, I like I, I actually I actually heard that when I went to PAX Unplugged, they I went to a D and D session. And they actually mentioned that, and I remember now that you're saying it, I'm like, yeah, that is actually an amazing idea because then you can get out what people liked and didn't like about how you ran the exactly. game, exactly, and that's very important. As a GM, how do you know otherwise? Exactly, because everyone mm-hmm. knows this. No one provides feedback, and we're only reluctantly provide it when you ask. You're podcasters, you know that too. You just put this stuff out there, and if no one says anything bad, you have to assume you're doing it right. Right. Yeah, no one ever says anything, so you're just like, sure. <laughs> yeah. With a game table, you've got people right there to give you feedback. Yeah. And if they're not comfortable, do it there. Set up something in your Discord or on Facebook or private messages. Make a Google Doc that people can go put their thoughts in. Because people are, may feel nervous even writing stuff down in front of you if they if they have a complaint. Make it as comfortable as possible, but that feedback is it can be very important. It, it's the most important thing for keeping the game fun for a long time. And again, brand new players, first time playing an RPG. It'd be awesome if you started with this stuff, but this is kind of more advanced level. Yeah. But definitely do the set expectations. Don't just have, hey, come on over. I'm going to run D&D. <laughs> when they get there, go, okay, here's what D&D is about. This is what I plan on running. We're going to do a typical hero's, like your typical yeah. D&D game is we're going to do a hero's journey. You're going to be peasants, farmers, just starting off heroes, just leaving your hometown and going out on adventures. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you're going to spend the entire game in this city that has a problem with werewolves. Set that up right at the beginning and say, wait, I'd rather go explore the world and find cool stuff. I'm like, okay, so we'll make the werewolves a temporary thing you'll get past first and that'll lead them somewhere else and then they'll go to other lands and eventually they'll go to the Feywild or something but again that can all be established beforehand it shouldn't be the dm sitting there sniggering in the middle of the week with what am i going to show them this week (laughs) that's an old school mentality that honestly can lead to bad sessions yeah absolutely so on on that note of you know the best tip for running campaign and best tip for world building experience is just set expectations and i think we can all agree with that 100 expectations and make sure you have enthusiastic consent for those expectations. Yes, yes. Make sure. Don't just have someone say, here's our expectations. Yeah. No, yeah, it, group ag- consent. Agree on it together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, yeah. Just to clarify yeah. in case someone might be missing. Yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> Very good point. Very good point. Okay, well, so on that note, we've talked about everything we want to talk about, but let's talk about some of our best, maybe worst experiences we had playing. So who wants to go first on this one? Yeah, I can go first. Okay, go first. So it, I think... Though. Probably one of my best experiences was when you wanted out as DM, Matt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you kind of, someone's player had died and you had created this scenario where we kind of had to go through like the seven layers of hell or something. This might be your Diablo thing you're talking about. It was about a earlier. Diablo thing, yeah. But yeah. basically we had to go and like rescue this character that had died. And basically you kind of put something up against all of our characters during this thing. I, I just thought it was like really cool and really well thought out. And kind of, and just made it a little bit, fu- made it more fun than it than it was. So okay, so I'm gonna go into a little bit of detail. So we were playing Pathfinder, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's 3.5 edition rules, which is very mm-hmm. complicated. I wanted out because I feel like there was just I didn't know if everyone was having fun, and I know I wasn't having fun because there's a million rules, and I felt like I was doing a lot of the legwork, like I was setting up the food, doing all the DMing, setting the world experience, and it was a lot of time. Yeah. Right. So I actually wish I had some of the tips that, you know, Mo was throwing at us earlier. Yeah. But that scenario, I did kind of lazily. I'm like, I actually kind of made it. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to throw out the rules because these rules are driving me crazy. Right. I'm always arguing with people and you know who those people were. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't want to be doing that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say it's I'm going to say it's Pathfinder. You're all going to go and I'm just going to give you scenarios and you're going to have to figure out how to get through it. Yeah, And it was more of like a uh, trial and error. So remember, you're like fighting the ghost and your weapons weren't working. 
But then someone figured out, oh, I have to use the mirror in the room to shine it at the ghost to, to distract it so that we could kill it, right? So yeah. it's setting up a lot more like scenarios like that where I didn't even care about what the hit points were and right. stuff. And I think that people had more fun doing those scenarios than they did playing the other scenarios, which I actually were modules from Pathfinder. So I hope that clarified a bunch of stuff for you. <laughs> AKA, I, I just BS that whole game, but you had a lot of fun, so great. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what it was, right? right? And, and to be honest, that's some of the best role-playing sessions I've ever had. Oh, really? I are literally just... I, I Nowadays, it, it's more from modern games like Powered by the Apocalypse games. But one of the GM goals, the rules for running Powered by the Apocalypse is to play to find out what happens. You don't know as a DM sitting down what's going to happen that night. And to me, that is honestly the best way to run most role-playing games. Now, that goes contrary to a lot of Dungeons & Dragons and yeah. how it's designed and how the modules are written. But it still can work with D&D. And some of my best D&D sessions were literally I sat down with no, no idea what I was going to run. And started the game by pointing to one of the characters go, where are you? And they're like, we're in a tavern. All right, what's the tavern called? Okay, where's it at? And then exploring from there. And then based on their cues, writing a whole story. Which can be done. It takes improv experience. And I've, I've run a lot of games over the years. So I can do that. Plus I have enough rules knowledge. Like D&D, we kind of summarize the system. The D&D system is roll a d20 and the DM tells you if you hit or not. Right. And in their head, they should be setting a difficulty level. They may or not be actually doing that. Sometimes they're just late waiting to hear a number. And so, yeah, that sounds high enough. That's the basic system. And you can run a whole game just knowing that basic system. And your players generally know their characters, so I'll admit, running 5th edition D&D or D&D Next playtest, I had no clue what a fighter could do compared to a barbarian. <laughs> right. I let the players handle all that. They're like, oh, I do this and this and this and hit for this much damage. I'm like, great. I had no clue how they <laughs> did that or how they came to that result. But I didn't need to, yeah. because all that mattered to me was that the awesome barbarian just swung a huge sword and cleaved the orc, which pissed off the orc's wife, and the orc's wife is now going to charge at him. And, you know, I just went with it. And, and that is a great way to run games. You don't... There, here's the biggest tip that we miss. That it, to me, is more important, actually, than setting expectations, is there's no way to do it completely wrong. Mm -hmm. like, like, you can make mistakes. Making mistakes is not a bad thing in a role-playing game. You're, again, all playing a game together. If you make a mistake, admit you made a mistake, go back and fix it, or just move on. Yeah, I think that that, like, you really hit the nail on the head there. I think, like, that really... There, there's different players who will be upset if they make a mistake, I feel, or they're right. really trying to like, you know, in Pathfinder, you can really optimize your character. And so like sometimes people really optimize their character and then all of a sudden they're they're useless in combat or something yes. and they just feel upset, right? And I think that that's why like a, a fifth edition is a little better because it lets, you know, the DM a little bit improvise a little bit more on things. Yeah, whereas I, I will say in, in Pathfinder, when I ran Pathfinder, I just let the characters fix it. Oh, really? Like don't punish a character player for making a bad choice because they didn't understand something. Yeah. Yeah. But again, if you're new to the game, you've got a book telling you these are the rules, and I get the the drive to follow them, but it's your game, yeah. not Paizo's. You bought it off them. It's yours now. Do what you want with yeah, it. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the problems I had running Pathfinder as a DM was that I was fighting about rules. At the end of the yeah. day, I'm like, you know, I'm the DM. Like, just do what I say. <laughs> and, they, and that was not the right answer either. <laughs> well, that that's the set expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Set expectation. I'm the DM. You're going to do what I say. I'm going to override the rules when I want. Are you cool with that? Yeah. That's all you need to do. And if everyone said yes, you'd be good. You'd be golden. And when someone didn't go, hey, remember when we had session zero and I said this? You yeah. bought in. So you have two choices now. You go along with me or you go find another group to play yeah, with. Yeah, that's, and that's how we, we definitely screwed up. Because even, even, John, you're talking about the one where we went through the seven layers of hell. Mm -hmm. That one, someone really wanted to... So basically a character was on trial. And I, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to kill this character off because I want you to journey to the seven layers of hell. 
hell. And someone was really upset because they spent like an hour trying to plan their way out of this trial. Yeah. And I just wasn't, I wasn't given in. <laughs> yeah. So as a DM, that's, that's not the best thing to do. You're going to anger people, no. but you know, whatever. It's yeah. your game. That, that was that was my let the player win now in that contest. Yeah. So anyway, we were supposed to be talking about our, our memorable yeah, moments. Yeah, go ahead, Bo. I kind of went off on another teaching moment, so my bad there. <laughs> so I'm going to say the worst experience I've ever had playing Dungeons & Dragons that had me literally swear I would never play the game. Wow. And I kept and I kept that promise for 10 years. Whoa, hold on, hold on, so hold on, hold on, hold on. So are you currently not playing the game? No, no, this goes okay, back. Okay, okay. So this was in that period from I had discovered Ghostbusters, nice. uh, Cyberpunk, and TSR Marvel. I was curious about Dungeons and Dragons. Windsor at that time had a club called the Windsor Gaming Society, which was at the University of Windsor. At the time, you had to be a university member to play. I was only 13. I got them to change the charter to let me show up <laughs> because I wanted to play that bad. So this is some of my, my Windsor gaming history. I was the president of that club for six years until I finished university. Wow. So. I, I kind of took it over eventually. But showing up to that, the, the GM's name was Brad. There was one other player named Larry. He was going to teach me original Dungeons & Dragons. The problem he had was he wanted us to use any book that existed, and they had a ton of them. So it took us six hours to make characters. Wow. Ouch. Because we were allowed to use anything. So I decided to play a wizard because wizards sound cool. Yeah, this is sure. this is where your GM should have stepped in and go, you probably don't want to play a wizard for your first character. Unless you're playing 4th Ed. Because that's where 4th Ed was awesome. Because we're like, here you go. Here are your spells. They're just like the fighter powers. So like he was handing me books and books of stuff. <laughs> And like one of them was this rare book where you got to pick a god. And if you picked a god, you got a bonus thing. And I managed to find this Egyptian god where you started the game with a plus two shield. <laughs> uh, so like like it's six hours to make these characters, right? Oh my right? god. So I have made this like wizard with a magic shield and I made all this story background. We sit down to now we're done, right? Like we, we go, we go to, we walk over to 7-Eleven and get some big bite hot dogs for a buck for dinner. We, I get my two liter of Jolt Cola and we go back to the club <laughs> to sit down and play. And Brad's like, all right, so you're a stable boy and you are in charge of brushing down the king's horse. And I'm like, but I'm a wizard. Why would I be the stable boy? Oh, he's punishing you. I'm like, okay, what am I being punished? No, no, it doesn't matter. You have to brush down this horse. Roll dexterity. I rolled and got like a three. The horse kicks you for D6 damage. I'm a wizard. I had two health. You die. Okay, get out of the room. Your character's dead. You're oh done. Oh my, Go really? That was my first D&D experience. That sounds Wait, hold terrible. on. You spent six hours making your character to be kicked out of a game? Yeah, to, to get kicked by a horse. As, as a wizard with a magic shield and all this background. I know, but he could have, like, I mean, you know, he's a DM. He could have done anything at that point, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, like, not only that, he had the mentality of you can't even be in the room to listen to the rest of the game. It was, your character's dead. You're not here. Wow. Wow. I, 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 so I literally swore I would not play Dungeons & Dragons. I didn't say I won't play for 10 years. But it took me 10 years before I actually played another Dungeons and Dragons see, game. See, that's that welcoming aspect to the table we were talking about. Yes. Where, like, you know, you make a game, like, that's, like, the thing you should not do. Yeah. Yes, this was a bad experience. <laughs> I mean, we definitely moved. I mean, you were very young at that time. So we, yes. we, I'm sure, like, society has moved definitely past that. But that's definitely one of those things oh. you don't do if you want to welcome people yes. to the table. Hmm. Yeah. You still hear horror stories like that now and then. But in general, yes, it's kind of past that. But, yeah, that, that swore me off Dungeons & Dragons. I, I would not touch the game for years i will admit i was a bit of a jerk about it because the people who did play D &D, i started to make fun of them because it was such a dumb game so that was bad on me but you know what i was a teenager well i was like oh look at these idiots playing D, &D. i play warhammer warhammer is a real, real <laughs> you know everyone goes through that yeah period. everyone 
I, I wasn't always as aware. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I mean, like, obviously you had such a bad experience that that twisted your, oh, your thought on it too, right? Like Completely. This, like, completely this jerk and totally. ruined my, my day, basically. And then it was just like, oh, yeah. I don't want to hang out. I, you know, I was 13. I went and cried. Yeah, like, come obviously. On. But, you know, you know, but that stops you from wanting to hang out with those people. Well, yeah, exactly. Right? I, I didn't go back for a number of weeks. When I did go back, I started playing a, a vampire game, basically. Not vampire, the role-playing game, but it was a game called Beyond the Supernatural, where we were hunting vampires, and I never played D&D with, with either of those people anymore. I will admit, I did re-hook up with Larry at an event I ran at Brimstone Games oh, wow. years later, and Larry turned out good. I don't know whatever happened to Brimstone. <laughs> <laughs> Nor do I actually yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. That sounds like a terrible experience. Oh, it was... But like the amount of work, like like, like it would be bad enough if my first D&D experience was someone hands me a pre-gen wizard and that happened. Yeah. But at least then I probably would have gave the game another shot. But in my head, I thought you had to do all this work. Like you needed to optimize your character and be as awesome as possible. So like I went through, it was the Deity and Demigods was the name of the, the expansion. Like tearing through that, trying to find the best bonus I could possibly get. And the fact that wizards couldn't use shields, but because it was gifted by the gods, I could. And like, like I did all that work just for one die roll. I rolled one die that game of D and D. Sorry, two. No, I rolled one. Yeah, because he rolled the damage for the horse. I rolled one die. I rolled one d twenty. That was my first D and D experience. Well, on that note, what's your best D and D experience? Okay, I, I, I don't there might be a lot. There might one. be a lot, but what was like maybe? Well, no, it's just it. it I, there's two I want to mention. Okay. So, so one is we're playing AD and D second edition. It's at the University of Windsor. What we also always call beyond the copper wall. So I don't know if the university even looks like this anymore, but the cafeteria used to have a big copper wall, and the upper part used to be the smoking session. At that time, I smoked, as did almost everyone in that time period. So we're up in the smoking session. I was running AD and D second edition for a bunch of friends I've met over the years through the Windsor Gaming Society and other places, and. And what I ran at that time was my own game world that I built collaboratively with the players. And because I had a bunch of non-D&D players in it, the premise was you were on a magical world that needed help. That It was all about a scale of balance with good and evil. And it was out of balance on the evil side. And what the planet would do to fix itself was import heroes from other settings. So this let all the players make whatever hero they wanted. So someone was from the Elric novels. There was someone from Lord of the Rings. Someone else was something from Warhammer. I can't remember warhammer 40k a rogue trader from warhammer 40k which i did warn them like the setting expectation like no sci-fi but you could be from a sci-fi planet adopting right you could do the the kid and king arthur's court thing if you wanted mm -hmm. to so that was the world that i started with and literally i had just bought a book called the world builders guidebook for DD that tells you how to flesh out a world so i started with a town and we started with a town and they started exploring with a hex map and i literally improv the entire thing now to help me with that there were some tools for second edition DD called the the book of encounters oh i can't believe i can't remember this off the top of my head but it was it was a car a bunch of index cards sorted by region that had encounters on them deck of encounters that's what they're sorry deck of encounters one deck of encounters two and i would literally like you're in the tundra i would draw a random card and they would meet it and what was awesome about that is none of that was geared to level so like the one thing you'd run into would be like here is a knoll nursing her baby in the woods trying to hide from you to a dragon lands in front of you and the players just dealt with it I ran that game, that campaign, with some of the same players for 10 wow. years. Totally making it up the entire time. That's awesome. And that is still just like my favorite role-playing experience overall. That whole campaign, the stuff we came up with. And what we would do is every time I started a new session, everyone played their kids. 
So it was generational. So we played for 10 years time, then everyone 10 years jumps and we all played their kids or 20 years. So we went through seven generations of characters and there was stuff I did. Like the first town in the city was founded by my friend, Al McDade, whose character name was Chardon. Well, in the first game we had Chardon. When we got to the next age, it was now Chardonton because it was Chardon's town. And then in the next age, it was just called Char because they dropped it and no one remembered who founded the That's town. That's hilarious. And that was like the most amazing game. Like just 10 years worth, second became, edition, which was pretty fiddly, beca- not the best It became system. history at that point, right? Yes. And everyone who plays in that game keeps begging me to run second edition D&D again. And I'm like, but it was bad. <laughs> like second edition like was fun, but like Thaco, like they- Thaco means two hit armor class zero. And it's a number that you have to subtract from your D20 to see if you hit. That's how we did things back Maybe then. Maybe you should convince them to do like five E. Like, hey, we're going to go back to Shar and we're going to do just 5e. And he said, you have all the improv rules. Work. <laughs> <laughs> that should work. But no, we have, I'll admit, my wife is the one that pokes me the most to play that. Oh, really? One. Yeah. So, and then the second, I just, this one's quick, is I used to run DD, DD, I was called Living Forgotten Realms, which was in fourth edition DD at Hugen and Munin when it was still around. Amazing oh, yeah. game store, fantastic game store. I ran over 200 games wow. of fourth edition DD. And got so many new people into the hobby because of this public play thing. At one point, we had six different DMs running tables at five different nights of the week. I used to run three wow. times a week for years. You were basically like a convention and, at that point. Yeah, and the number of people. And what I would literally do is if someone walked into the store, I'd be running the game. I would walk up to them with a pre-gen and say, hey, are you curious about Dungeons & Dragons? Sit down. I'll teach you to play. And I got so many local people into D&D with that that it is just a fantastic experience. The, the number of new people I met through that, like I'm talking like 600 new gamers wow. that, that, that got into the hobby because of Living Forgotten Realms. And that is the reason 4th Edition will always be my favorite version of Dungeons & Dragons, just because of that. That's awesome. Wow, that is crazy. That is amazing. I Yeah, that's, that's great. I think... I guess that's why, like, you know, you're saying 4E is such a good addition because you were able to draw in a lot of people very easily, right? Well, that was it. You literally would hand them the sheet and they would have powers listed. It'd be, what can I yeah. do right here? It's in front that, of you. That whole you, setup thing. You can thing attack is... with your sword. You can do your powerful attack once a yeah. day. You can do this every encounter. And that's it. Like, a first level 4E character would have two at-will powers, which you could use any number of times. And then you would have one encounter power that you were allowed to use once per fight. And you'd have a daily power. And that's all I'd have to teach people. That was it. Like, like compared to Pathfinder and even Fifth Ed, there were no, there were feats and all that going on in the background, but they just modified the numbers. And what we did at the time, and now this is common, is I there was a website called Magic Card Creator for making your own magic cards. Someone had done a D&D hack for it, so I had printed off cards for all these powers. Oh, that's super cool. And you just wrote in the numbers with a Sharpie, because I, I laminated them all. Sorry, not a Sharpie, a dry erase. So literally, people would sit down and I'd be like, because 4E was very combat-focused. Yes, there were role-playing moments, but it was about the combat. So it was literally, this miniature represents your you're a dude you can move six squares or you can do one of these three things look at the cards and pick which one you want to do oh this one does a lot more damage but look you can only do it once per fight do you want to do that now or do you want to save it and see what's beyond that door right and got so many people into role playing with that that's awesome that's awesome Wow, we, uh, <laughs> I feel like this could be like eight <laughs> podcasts long, or maybe just as old. Oh, probably. <laughs> wow. You're just going to have to have me back. Yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously, more than welcome. We'll have, we'll have to play a campaign or something at some point, and then. 
Yeah, well, if things would just open up, if we could actually get out in person, I I would love to start running games in public again. Yeah, hopefully that will happen soon, but who knows, right? On that note, Bo, just let the listeners know where they could find you to listen to your amazing podcast as another Windsor representative in the board game industry in our area. Yeah, best pizza in the world. Got to mention that. We we should have a podcast just on that. That's all I'm going to say. We could. We could. We'll start going through the different ones. I've been thinking I should, I should do a bracket, a pizza bracket for Windsor and see who does win. The did first, you ever listen to best. our last game standing stuff? I listened to parts. That's I'll admit I did not get through that's all of okay. it. It's, it's, I tend to put on podcasts while I'm doing other things. And I think I had it on, but it's I was doing It's okay. Things. We should do a last pizza standing. <laughs> Windsor that's edition. That's what we, I got to hold us all to that. Yeah. Anyways. Let's do it. Let the audience know where they could, where they could find you. So, yeah, I am I am O2's on the Tabletop Bellhop. You can find lots of awesome gaming content at tabletopbellhop.com where the main thing we do is answer your gaming and game night questions you can go to that website and click on ask the bellhop or email me questions at tabletopbellhop.com now i'm not up for answering questions anywhere so you can also hit me up on social media as tabletopbellhop one word pretty much every site that's out there i'm on there and active instagram twitter i even have a tiktok account we're there feel free to reach out Thanks, Mo. Awesome. So if you like what you hear, don't forget to follow us on your favorite streaming platform. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can check us out on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official. Twitter at Friday Night GMS. TikTok at Friday Night Games. And as always, our website, FridayNight.Games. Again, I'm John. I'm Matt. And it's Friday night, so let's have some fun. I feel like I needed my bell. Felt weird without it. (laughs) I'm like, podcast ended. There was no ding. What's going on? There you go. Yes, I have a collection of bells.